welcome to this, the third episode of the Cherryton School Report, a B-Stars podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Ray, and I've always seen myself as a friendly sort of dog. Though I do have an affinity for rabbits, but according to my daughter, and against my protests, I am a giraffe. Probably because I'm long, lanky, and six foot one. I'm joined by my co-host and childhood friend, Don Munson. Don, if you had to pick what kind of animal you are, what would you choose? You know, I would love to be something noble, like a fox or a wolf. Nah. <laughs> nope. I'm. I'm. Guess I'm a bighorn sheep. <laughs> that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Like, what kind of animal bludgeons things? Because when I was a kid, and you were a kid, when we were both kids, <laughs> you were no. <laughs> we were kids together. <laughs> when we were kids, you were known to be kind of a berserk, a berserker class, berserker class, um, where like you would get into squabbles and you would bludgeon your opponents with thundering forearms. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I dearly wish we could bring on some of our contemporaries uh, to to see if they would describe my. I, I don't know, fighting style as bl- thundering forearms. Um, I think a bighorn sheep is perfectly fine. Have you ever seen those t- the the males face off against each other and they like the, the they slam yeah. their heads together with massive reverberations yeah, on the the high mountains. Reverberation is a great word for it because it almost has like sound waves that come out when they clash those horns together. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, those creatures are pretty tough. I'm not gonna not gonna lie; they're they're impressive. I did a little digging for this week's show, and I found out that the manga upon which Beastars is based is wrapping up in the very near future, probably this year. Which I'm grateful for because I don't think I can take another series that goes like 90 books or more. I, I'm um, very with you on that particular sentiment. I I kind of like I I like stories to conclude. Uh, before they jump the shark and i just feel it's so rare you know once you find a a property that people like there's just such a desire to keep it going beyond its outlives its actual um depth and that's i don't want that to happen I, i don't want that to happen to the things i really like yeah i mean my family and i are watching one piece together from the beginning and there's like an arc um meaning like um all of the stories within an arc sort of are telling the same, like they have the same like big bad. They have the same like uh, themes and, and location basically. Um, and th- one of the arcs goes like 50 episodes. I'm not kidding. The Alabasta arc is incredibly long. Oh, you don't have and, to. I mean, I, I've been, I'm about, I don't know, 300, 400 books in to that particular manga. So I'm quite familiar Oh, 300 books? Do they have 300 of those? They might. I have no idea. They are. They're close to a thousand. They're close to a thousand. Wow. So I'm about, as I'm mentioning, a, a third of the way through, and I, I think I'm past the Alabasta at this point. Um, <clears throat> but I, I don't mean, remember. You, it's been a couple months since I picked it up. When the show is firing on all cylinders, when it hits those big emotional moments, it is better than anything. It's so good. Um, and oh, you're, you're really so selling the anime. I'd, I'd like to see it. Then I've I've only been reading the manga. The anime is good, and it's so funny, and um, I really really enjoy it. But uh, definitely, the longer these things go, the more they dilute the impact of their big moments. So 
I mean, it's not like American comics where, like, Spider-Man just keeps going and, like, it just keeps getting rebooted over and over again and ad infinitum. Ad infinitum. Ad infinitum. <laughs> you know, actually, um, speaking in that particular context, I will um, point out that... Uh, shoot. Uh, the... What is it? Oh, um, Avatar The Last Airbender is going to be free coming up. And I always noted that that show did come to a conclusion and was done with itself, which oh, I admired. I, love, <clears throat> I loved Avatar The Last Airbender. And I was one of those snobs that was like, I'm not watching an anime from America. <laughs> I'm not watching a foreign anime. I only watch Japanese things with subtitles. They can't possibly. And then like three episodes in i'm like this is the best thing ever this might be better than some of the japanese anime that i had held up to like some high standard well i'm looking forward to showing it to my kids who have not experienced any of it <clears throat> oh my god watching it again you're gonna be just overjoyed it's so much fun to watch i would point out that that is not the topic of this podcast and we should probably get better back on track yes um so this week's episode is called Two sides to the story, but I want to talk a little bit about the Japanese title, which is different. So it's not that far off. Two sides to the story is is a succinct title for what the, the episode is about, but the Japanese title is a little weirder. It's Shippo no Yogore ni mo wake wo midas Toshigoro. At that age when one can discern the reason your tale is filthy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So very different suggestion and it it ties directly into the end of this episode so i want to come back to it um the reason that lagoshi's tail gets filthy at the end because it was it was dragging in the dirt not that that's a spoiler or anything i mean everybody should have watched the episode by now but <laughs> yeah uh, word to the wise if you are now three episodes into our podcast and are listening to it before <laughs> watching the episodes i don't know what you're doing exactly so we start with Jack, who um, that was one of the characters um, that we've seen, but we haven't really got his name and we didn't really get a lot of information. He's a Labrador retriever and he brings Lagoshi some lunch outside. And we're kind of dealing with the fallout from our previous episode um, where Lagoshi and Bill did like, do you know what shoot fighting is? It's like when two wrestlers like go at it hard style where like they actually hit each other to make it look more legitimate. Like, they kind of did that, except it was, like, a bloody, like, almost life-and-death version of that on the stage. I had never heard about this until I think I read about it yesterday or something, this shoot fighting. And <laughs> and then you bring it up here. So, I guess I'm now familiar with this concept of <clears throat> of um, actually going at it. I actually thought this was a very odd scene. It tra- It started with Jack, and then it transitioned into a bit of a flashback with Louis and Bill and um, uh, Legoshi. And I I thought it was quite odd because we started out with Louis reading the riot act to Bill and Legoshi. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And chewing them out, kicking them out of the the troupe. Um, They wouldn't be at rehearsals, which isn't really a big deal for Legoshi because he's in the art department. He doesn't, I don't, I thought it was interesting that um, that it turns out that Louis didn't care if Bill drank the rabbit's blood. He was more concerned about like the purity of the stage being stained with real blood. Uh, yes. And well, he, although he claims to understand their barbarism, 
which is kind of like to not understand his their barbarism. It was kind of what he was kind of stoking in Lagoshi just a couple episodes ago. Yeah, I agree. So I it found was that very contradictory. He started out yeah. by saying, "Oh, you know, I I care about you being true on stage. I care about you sort of showing your your real character." Mm-hmm. So that was <clears throat> more an indictment of Bill than it was of Legoshi, who was actually showing his true character. But then, <laughs> then it is pointed out to Louis that he is, in fact, being viewed by a bunch of people and the press related to this. And he pulls a complete 180. Yes, and he, he, he is not authentic to himself. He, he turns around and says, well, you know, oh, yes, this all was planned. This was, in fact, what we're supposed to do. And, you know, it was masterminded by these two here. And you can ask them any questions. And he, and he wanders off. I, and I was like, this is, this is crazy. See, I didn't think it was that far out of his character, though, in the sense that, like, um, he's willing to do whatever it is to protect the stage. And if if everyone assuming that there was, like, real violence going on on stage would hurt his production in some way, it's better for him to get in front of it and, like, claim that it's all, like, part of the story. Like, he just wants to control the story, in my opinion. And... He's willing, and 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 once he's said what he said, which is just a bunch of platitudes and weird, like, like things that stir emotion but don't actually have any kind of like actual content behind them. I think he just doesn't want to give away the game, so he just like lets he just throws <laughs> he throws Legoshi to the wolves basically. And I and got that, <clears throat> and I completely me, agree sort with your of interpretation. How he, yeah, to me, that's sort of how he. Um, how he has them take responsibility in a different way than he had originally intended. Yeah, I just feel like there is a strong danger of losing the narrative there at the same time. So I would no, have thought they, he yeah. would... Well, because they could say anything to the... And they could contradict him, which would be, of course, they don't want to. It's just they may be trapped into <laughs> questions they don't know how to answer. Right, but at that <clears> point, <throat> they'd been cowed and brought low. So I feel like they were just they were just going along with whatever he wanted at that point. Um, what I thought was really interesting about this is that it it shows that people really responded to what they were doing on stage. And what they were doing was weird and brutal and totally different than, like, the message of the play previously. And to me, that sort of was, like, in this world of false civility. And I think we'll get into this more as the episodes go on here, as we talk about episode six as well. But in this world of false civility, um, like barbarism or this savage life and death nature could kind of be this cathartic release that uh, the world longs for. Do you think there's something there like kind of that this has to be adjacent to the natural order? Like that everybody is aware of how things are supposed to be, but they kind of like put a mask on it and they like they don't they don't fully like um, they need to like. They need to acknowledge its existence and they, they still kind of get off on the idea of it, but it needs to be in a safe, it needs to be presented in a safe way that, that that's still like safe for the audience. You know what I'm saying? So the animalistic urges need to exist, but they need to be controlled in the, in the confines of a theatric production, which is all, <clears throat> all dreams and smoke and mirrors. Yeah, kind of like that. I mean, you said that much better than I did. (laughs) That's why Um, I'm here. You always have to have a little bit of civility. 
You have to like, maintain a modicum of control. Yes. So I was thinking that, like, that sort of was the same idea that we we're kind of getting from the stage. Like, it, it can be wild, it can be, it can be bloody, it can be a little out of control, but it needs to have, it needs to still be on the leash, so to speak. Yeah, I think that's, and I think it gets to the whole tension, and this is the point you were trying to make, the tension of the actual world, which is they're constantly in balance between carnivores and herbivores, and it's a place where people can see those passions lived out in ways that they cannot in civil society. Lagoshi thinks that Louis is talking specifically to him because I guess Lagoshi thinks everything is about him. <laughs> like most narcissistic teenagers, he's that's, right. that's the only way of thinking. Except for our teenage audience, they never do that. <laughs> They're a bunch of forthright young go-getters. I... Hello, fellow youths. <laughs> You're doing the meme with um, like uh, Steve Buscemi. That's and, the uh, one. Airheads. Yes, I'm. I'm doing that meme out loud. Nice, nice. Um, let's move on from that, though. Uh, so Jack saw through this whole performance of Lagoshi. He thought he could hide the fact that he was he was doing a real fight with Bill on stage. But Jack is apparently one of his old friends, and he sees right through it. And I think Jack's an interesting character. I kind of liked him from the outset. Uh, he's forthright. He tries to cheer Lagoshi up. Um, and he, he's been noticing that he's kind of depressed. So, um, And there's this great part where he sings this cute little song, which sounds like an idol pop song within the world of, um, of B-Stars. So, because I'm watching the English dub, uh, it comes across a little different. It was more like a sort of a childhood little sing-song. Okay, well, that kind of works, too. Um, And it's like, it might have been that. I I think that's a good reading of it, too. Um, But... Yeah, I I would think the word koi no yokan, which means a premonition of love. Uh, so the the Japanese translation is uh, the 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 wagging of the tail, a premonition of love, and then he just sings Lagoshi's name over whatever the actual lyrics are. I thought maybe that was like a idol song in that version, but I totally get how that could that could play as a children's song because the melody is very simple and. I mean, honestly, sing, the the music had, yeah, the music at the end where he. Jeff accuses Legoshi of being in love and then Legoshi is too shocked to um, because that is sort of the core of what's going on with Legoshi. He's having romantic feelings when apparently he's never had them before uh, and the, the music actually gets comedic in my opinion where Jack comes back and says, oh, you, I, I was right, you, you are in love and then he's trying to figure it out and Legoshi's like basically trying to get as far away from this conversation as he can um, because he's uncomfortable with it. But it was it, it gets back to this whole awakening of Legoshi and how um, Jack notices that Legoshi is expressing his emotions in a way that he's always repressed before, and Legoshi is very uncomfortable with that and just coming to terms with it. All right, I don't want to harp on that anymore. Let's move on. Well, the next scene is, uh, is, very, is a bombshell, honestly. Yeah, this is a bombshell. That's a great... Yes, definitely. We see Louie with Haru, like, and we had no idea that we were dealing with a love triangle No here. inkling at all. And maybe it's a long triangle, maybe it isn't, because it's not clear. Uh, it was a very short scene with 
one of the most interesting exchanges I have seen where, and I'll paraphrase, Haru says, oh, is there something else that's bothering you? And Louis says back, it was very, it was, your, again, your to- beauty lies in your minding your business. Yeah. Well, I, that I think was the, the rough translation. And then it was basically like um, the the dub was a little less precise, but it was kind of like the the best part about you is how you, you don't pry. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it was, it was the, the kindest shut up I've ever heard. Um, and meanwhile, and then they go at it. And I was kind of like, whoa, dude, like, if someone said that, it makes it seem like a very transactional relationship. Um, so I, when you said love triangle, like, I don't, I don't sense love on those parties. It really seems they're just going at it. Well, I wouldn't say, I don't know whether it's love. And I don't know how teenage romances work that way exactly. But, I mean, it's not that I don't understand teenage romance. I'm just saying, like in the case that these people aren't fully formed adults yet and they're just sort of like working at their feelings and stuff still. Um, how do we feel about this, Munson? How do we feel about this reveal that Louis and Haru have something going on, regardless of whether it's a triangle or not? Honestly, it's a bit jarring because to me, it feels like this adds a level of emotional depth that I don't associate with late high school age kids. Uh, Mm. And so there are certainly kids that do that, but we are juxtaposed sort of abruptly with Legoshi's innocence on the other side of the equation. Like Legoshi is very, it appears, introverted and and inexperienced. And then Mm -hmm. you transition to this scene and both Haru and... Louis come across as extremely um, world-wise and um, much more mature, much more developed to be engaging in this kind of relationship. I agree. And um, it's to me, it's it's basically about adding a wrinkle to the relationship that's forming between Legoshi and Louis. Oh, absolutely. Like, Legoshi is still absolutely not... Legoshi is still not aware of the connection between them, but we are already seeing sort of like a, like a sort of jockeying between Louis and Legoshi uh, as they sort of in, see things that they admire in the other person. And they're sort of uh, taking them into themselves. I would say Legoshi admires um, Louis and Louis is jealous of Legoshi's innate abilities and latent existing talents that have little to do with what Legoshi is presenting to the world, but just has naturally within him. Uh, right. And so but I, he's also sort of been the arbiter of bringing those talents to the front. And yeah, it's, it's an interesting, we still don't, and I still don't, or I still don't fully appreciate how much Legoshi knows or cares about being pushed into this spotlight. I, I don't, he, his, in fact, his actions on stage like he is not invested in the character he's not invested in the performance he goes out there and fucks it up to be perfectly honest um he goes out there and messes it up and yeah so to me like having been pushed into the spotlight by louis having been given these opportunities that other people 
were raging for and were very upset they were not getting. Um, mm-hmm. He's, I won't say squandering because that's too strong of a word, but they are meaningless or they don't appear to have a great deal of meaning to Legoshi. At least at this point, I don't see him capitalizing them on. I don't capitalizing on them. I don't see him investing emotional energy in them. I, I, he's not. That's not where his head is, and it doesn't seem that he's sophisticated enough or um, developed enough to want to take advantage of those. He's just he's being a kid, which is what he is in a lot of ways. He's 17 years old, right. and he's still trying right. to figure himself out. So I, I, I don't think his character he's out of character in any way for behaving the way he is. I think that that has been very true to life. I just feel like Louis has an agenda, and Louis is intending to promote things in a certain way, and he mm-hmm. would love to have Legoshi's innate gifts to be able to be much more forceful in promoting that agenda. And Legoshi just doesn't have an agenda. So whatever happens, happens. Um, and so he's sort of caught in the whirlwind. Right. And Legoshi's in the middle of an awakening. We, he doesn't know who he's coming out that tunnel, that that self journey. He doesn't know who's going to come out that tunnel yet. Is he going to be more of a beast or is he is he going to be able to nurture that kind of kindness within him that we've seen glimpses of? And, and keep it safe? Or is he going to have to sell off part of that innocence in order to protect and or, you know, um, uh, interact with the world around him? I don't know. But let's, I want to move on from that. All right. So then we move on to, what is it? Is this summer break? I, I got very confused, even though I, I watched it a couple I of times. I call these... I call these things um, whimsical animal breaks where the, the, the show seems to time skip a bit and it shows us a little bit more of the world. And what we get this time was this really awesome little vignette of them trimming away their winter hair or their their like thick hair that they'd grown over the winter and not lost in the spring yet, I guess. It's shedding. Yeah. I, you know what? I, I, was, I watched that episode twice and it just did not occur to me that that was exactly what was happening. Sure. Yeah. That's them shedding their winter coats. That makes complete sense. Yeah. And they, uh, they make a great big pile of it and then they sell it to, f- they sell their fur off to yarn shops, which I thought was kind of fun. Uh, it seems like a way for the kids, for the, for the students of this, school to get a little bit of spending money because they're going to get their first trip to the city in a long time together with a without a formal permission slip yeah they get to go there because they're going to be involved in the festival of the meteor yeah i I like the festival of the meteorite i like the sort of discussion of dinosaurs and there was some weird thing in in the subtitles where it's like these are treated as gods and i was like oh that's uh okay um because we're my all god descended doesn't have s- <laughs> my god doesn't have such tiny little arms i'm sorry it doesn't have to be a t-rex a dinosaur is all them lots of different dinosaurs <clears throat> yeah but a t-rex is the one that everyone thinks of probably because of jurassic park well i mean in all fairness i they would be expected to have a pantheon of gods because they all don't look very similar to each other that's true um, I did like that detail as well. It the, the whole thing, this fe- the festival of the meteor, reminds me of a holiday in Japan called Obon, which is in August. Uh, it's a festival to celebrate dead ancestors and kind of welcome ghosts. So it seems to be the direct corollary of this, though the timing is a little weird because I'm not sure if we skipped summer <laughs> or if we're like oh, just yeah. starting summer. Yeah, no, it's extremely unclear, and people are like, well, "What are you gonna do? I want to take a big trip," and I was kind of like, "Well, is this summer? Like, are we out for the year? Are we gonna be new?" 
new students by the time we come back? Because I would figure that would be a pretty major transition. Nevertheless, um, there it was... It also comes with... Right. It also comes with this um, this thing that's very Japanese to me, very Japanese school days. I've never seen this in any other country. There's like some kind of ritual is involved and it somehow links a couple together. Uh, in this case, they go into this uh, hut um, and they light a candle. Yeah, this is together the, the candles two. and the meteor. This is very foreboding. This is going to have emotional resonance later. My my prognostication is that they, this will have emotional resonance in future episodes. Something's going to happen. Okay. Said there's no. I would be surprised if it didn't come up later. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen anything like this? Have you ever come across anything like this, like a ritual? Have you, um, with someone you love, ever gone through like a cursed tunnel of love where uh, if you make it through to the <laughs> other side... Why did it have to be a cursed one? I don't know. I'm just saying like uh, there's. I've never seen these kinds of traditions. I've always heard about them and I've never seen one in real life. Um, I mean, isn't... Uh, I, I would say, like, entering into the covenant of marriage is kind of like this. This this is a much boo, more derivative. Boo. This is much more derivative. It's, but it is the same kind of thing. I mean, isn't any sort of ritual just like the, the old-time 1950s where a, a jock would give his letter jacket to his girlfriend? That's a ritual of oh, sorts. Oh, I like that. That's cool. Yeah. That is interesting. I mean, these are all the same sort yeah, of rituals. Yeah, because we have that sort of... Yeah, we do. I'm glad I asked you that question. So you're, you're we're back welcome. to Haru. Yeah. Um, she notices a wilted flower in the hall. Yeah, that's she this is the to caring for it. Yeah, and she's this is very. Are we seeing more of her character? Like she is naturally. Is this only with plants? Because she doesn't seem to treat people with the same sort of care and, or I haven't seen it yet. She seems like to have she has the personality for it, but it hasn't necessarily come out that way with respect to people. With with plants, she's very nurturing. Yeah, this is definitely. Uh, a different side to her. I mean, we've seen glimpses of this side to her, mm, but absolutely. But and mo- she gets but bullied again. Yep. She's the targeting of bullying again by Mizuchi and her squad, and I guess they're cats. I don't know. They they have like one kind of them's a cat. The other one is unclear. Features. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they could be like smaller rodents, like ferrets, maybe. Mm, yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh, she once again now she causes her to fall and and it breaks the the vase that she had the flower in um and they exchange a couple barbed phrases it's a little weird because she's basically um physically abusing haru but then doesn't seem to have any clarity on her own relationship that was the source of the problem like it's not clear what she wants from haru at this point except to torture her um, she's blaming her because she doesn't want to take the blame herself, obviously. Uh, she, she doesn't want to think that she's somehow less than some dumb rat, some dumb, you can find them anywhere dwarf rabbit, right? Because she's supposed to be this special harlequin rabbit and she was supposed to, like, she, I, I remember there's a line where she blames her for, like, ending the harlequin rabbit, like, race because she's like. Right, because um, she interfered. She interfered, and like uh, they are a rare breed, so there's not that many of them. Uh, yeah. So <clears throat> there was one interesting point in Haru's soliloquy when she was 
you know, saying, oh, you know, I if you call that a soliloquy. First of all, we don't call that a soliloquy. That's a verbal rap battle beat down. It was not a rap <laughs> battle beat down. She um, lays into her. With, she does. Like, but almost a syncopated, violent. Maybe it sounded takedown, more syncopated. Verbal in, takedown. In Japanese. I would say it was it was pretty spot on. Like, look, if you're if you're already sort of begging, then you're not going to get what you want. I, I thought her point was correct but there were a couple things that bothered me the the fact is the aggressors here are in fact scared by the arrival of legoshi who is a giant scary predator but i am super confused as to why he is merely by existing more scary right like there are carnivores all around here he is literally just walking up the hallway Unless it's a hallway where he is explicitly not supposed to be, which there's given no indication later in the scene when Haru is talking with him, that what, 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 it's convenient from the sense of of he and Haru sort of meet cuting in the hallway, although it doesn't seem to be by chance. But it's it's very incongruous with what I expect to happen in the world when a student is walking down a hallway. It's that old trope of something scarier behind the aggressor that makes it seem like the bullies or bad guys are afraid of the little guy in front, but it, they're actually scared of the thing behind. It's such a it's such a silly old trope of, like, comedy. It's been done a million times Yeah, I now. got you. I just don't feel like um, it works. It worked for me, but it wasn't, like... Like, he probably just looked, like, upset because um, he likes Haru and he saw that she was being bullied as he kind of... He tells us in his voiceover. Man, we get a lot of that voiceover. And sometimes we get the voiceover, uh, well, uh, that just happens later in the scene, but we get the voiceover even when he's actually talking with Haru underneath. So that was very confusing to me. I was like, well, which part are we paying attention to? Um, the actual, we needed to be paying attention to them both. Yeah, she doesn't even she doesn't even remember if she slept with him. No, that was kind of like, rude. Tries, <laughs> he like tries to give her a dead flower and she's like, no, thank you. I don't take sympathy from someone I slept with. Yeah, and I was like, like, he said, are you okay? And she said, oh, I don't take, you know, I don't need sympathy. Why why wouldn't you? Like, it again brought me back to what the heck is going on? Is sex a a transactional thing for her? Is it, why is she making this sort of distinction? Um, Don't you think it's about borders? Don't you think it's about boundaries? Like, she creates boundaries about the people that kind of come to her for physical relations. And, um... She has rules, internal rules that she keeps in order to protect herself. To protect herself from falling in love? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't think she wants to fall in love with someone who would cheat, who would treat her. Um, so the way her sexual maybe. partners do? Expressing maybe, sympathy. Yeah. She said, you know, I wrote, or I, in my notes here, I wrote, no pity from sex partners. And I wrote, why? Um, but it's... I mean, he's not expressing pity necessarily. Like, that's not the emotion that Legoshi no, is. I, I see the pity there. I definitely see it. I see it in, in sort of the, like... Well, I mean, I see why she sees it. Like, he's giving her a flower. It's like, she doesn't really know him that well. She saw the whole scene. I mean, Legoshi saw the whole scene from his perspective, right? And she's... Yeah, and she's now, wet and raging and he wanders right. up. Okay, I'll I'll grant you that. Don't much. be. It's like don't be nice to me when I'm being put down. Like that's not what I want from a person who I've slept with. I, okay, I I got you there, but I do find it a little weird and discongruent because I still don't 
if you are sleeping with so many people that you need to treat the class of individuals with whom you sleep as a different set of people than the people with whom you do not, um, that to me does belie some odd choices in life. And the other thing Don't is... Don't be a hater. Don't be a hater. I was the one who was defending her the first time we found out she has a louche reputation. So um, I don't know what to tell you. Um, the, the other thing is he was handing her the flower. I didn't think he was doing it out of pity. I, the, the flower handing to me was like we have to pick up a mess. <laughs> like he can't. He's not giving her a flower. She was carrying the flowers. You don't. Like it's not like he somehow magicked up a rose to present to her. I don't know about that. I feel like it was a little bit of a a little bit of a sad clown performance where he picked up a dead flower and kind of handed it to her weekly, and it looked like he was presenting it in a. Yeah, I, I would have been on her way, side. That like is a, that's pretty pathetic. Okay. Is is hello? Is this thing hello? on? Hello? 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 Hey, hey, hi, what's up? This is this is Ben Bath and I don't know anymore. I need out of this fucking podcast, okay? We got, we, got, we 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 talked about Bionicle for a very long time and we tried <laughs> to stop, but then some evil force trapped us in hell and is forcing us to talk about things that start with the letter B until we die. We did Beyblade and now we're on Batman and it's just going to keep getting I'm a, I, worse. I am, a, I am afraid of what happens next. I haven't seen my wife in several days. Please help us. Please help Please us. us. Oh God, Please Joe. Help us. Joe, do you hear that? Oh God. Go to theorangegroves.com and help us. Please, God, please. No, no. Oh God. <laughs> Hey, Jory, have you ever watched the anime called One Piece? Yeah, Joe, I watch it for a podcast that we do. What? You know, we are watching One Piece. I started watching it so you could rewatch it, and then we talk about it sometimes. I have have no idea what you're talking about. Well, we don't do it super frequently. Once a month at best. Did you forget? We analyze the story and discuss the show's themes, characters, compare it to other media, and how it provides an allegory for real-life politics and events. I I must have forgotten. What? Where can I listen to remind myself? You can listen at the Orange Groves Podcast Network or search for We Are Watching One Piece in your favorite podcast app. What's a podcast? Uh, so... Next, we get them going to lunch together, which is kind of wild looking. Uh, it It's played like a... I don't want to say it's miscegenist, but like um, the the animals around them kind of joke about it and, and jeer at them and presume that one of them lost a dare, so they had to do it. Uh, to have like a giant wolf and a rabbit have lunch together seems to be beyond the pale for these uh, creatures. Uh, and the view of them together is is really quite ridiculous. She has to sit on his backpack to even approximate his height. Um, she looks like a child, but we know she's not. And this is the part where I worried that maybe I was watching some veiled pedophile fantasy. I mean, un- until you mentioned that, I hadn't really... That hadn't really crossed my mind, but um, I can see, you know, she's sitting on the backpack. She's kind of kicking her little feet. Um... I think he mentions that her voice sounds childlike. She takes too big of a bite. Oh, yeah, and the way he says it is kind of gross. He's like, 
Oh, she took too big of a bite of that. Car- That's too big a bite of carrot for you, baby. Oh, that was... <laughs> maybe that's what's said in japanese that that did not come but it did seem like the tension was more romantic than predator prey i didn't know if it was romantic tension but it wasn't yeah it it wasn't predator prey but i think that probably pedophiles think that they have a romantic connection with the children that they prey upon so um i don't think it would be fair to read it as a pedophile text because i don't think that that was the intention If there is any kind of sort of like overlap with the iconography of what a pedophile relationship would look like, it's probably on purpose to create that same like, uh, because this is an addiction narrative in a way. um, That was a a profound set of thoughts that you just uh, elucidated. I really liked it. Right. It's... It's an addiction narrative in the way that, like, we know that he wants to eat her, but he's not sure if he can control those urges and keep his feelings, which are romantic, pure. I'm trying to understand how many different lenses the creators of the show want us to be looking at the Haru Legoshi relationship through at any one time here we see an awkward pairing other people are commenting on it we talked about how they're they're ill-suited to be hanging out and you know legoshi is totally hung up on the fact that he doesn't even know her name and he's basically ignoring her while he's working up the gumption to even ask or to even seem if it's appropriate to ask what her name is um and so i'm i'm struck with you know, in our the first interaction they had, he was he, it was all he could do not to eat her. He likes her presence. He wants to be around her. It, there's a sexual awakening going on. Now you're bringing in this lens of you know this weird sort of pedophile like exchange, which is possible given the weird juxtaposition. And the, I mean, we've we've obviously got the the difference in size and strength and everything else that's going on between them, which can fuel a romantic aspect. So it's a huge number of layers that are um, that are part of this relationship. But I feel like they're not necessarily as sophisticated in it. They're both sort of acting as one would expect them to be as sort of innocent teenagers, which is challenging when I think about how Haru was uh, messing around with uh, Louis in a earlier bit like Haru does appear to be more damaged than I fully understand or appreciate I like that her I like that we see it from her perspective as well and we get the fact that like her instinct is telling her to run every single time he flashes like his teeth just Mm -hmm. eating and she's like like, I should I should never be here I should never be around this guy right but she she does feel something for him on some level and uh, I like that he notices, like, these weird things about her. Like, he's never sat with, like, a, a rabbit before. So he's seeing her eyes and they're pitch black, you know. And she finally gives him his her, her name, which... Not until they're walking home. Right. Um, and that's when his tail is dragging in the dirt and the title of the episode comes up. I, I did have a question about that. He gets dragging in the dirt because... 
She has some problem with her shoe. He comes around, he fixes the problem with her shoe, and then he stares into her eyes, and that's when we get going, and his tail ends up wagging because he's crouched down in the dirt. Um, Right. And she's very cute and doll-like, and she wears these, like, Mary Janes with a buckle. I I was a little confused as to why she can't buckle her own shoe, and it required somebody else to help. (laughs) I don't know. You know what? Sometimes I felt like it was a a romance between Hannibal the Cannibal and Matilda. It was like... It was like... It was like, Lugosi's so tall and so big and so soft-spoken and weird. Yeah. And Haru is so much more, like, brash and... I don't know. She's well, more, she is, like, but not really around him. Well, I take that right. back, because she was the one who initiated the sexual contact that didn't happen. Right. And she, I mean, she's still working through how it feels to be around him. Yeah, I think she was heading to that sort of without thought of what the consequence might be. At any rate, I, I would like to move on to episode six, Blurred Vision, Dream or Reality, unless there's something you wanted to finish no, up No, I there. just wanted to say that that was a lot of episode to inch us forward uh, to what I'm guessing you also see as an endgame romance, right? But it's like five episodes into the show. Like it's been five episodes and he finally got her name. It's moving at a glacial pace. And I just, there's, we've already have a huge bombshell in with uh, Louis and Haru's relationship just waiting to be unleashed. So if he gets emotionally attached and then that comes out, who knows what the story is going to be. And maybe that's what we're going for. Some tragic denouement that results in, you know, a, a bl- actual bloodbath. Mm, well, we'll see. But um, Is it a tragedy so that, or a comedy, Brie? That's my question. So episode six, Blurred Vision, Dreamer Realities, you were talking about, it begins with a news report of a carnivore attack on a gazelle, and it shows the grieving parents. And it feels like we're sort of getting into the more serious side of this now. Again, yeah, I, um, I, I, I struggle with this because I feel like we go from this this love story to oh yeah don't forget that we were introduced by the fact that there is a killer or a bunch of killers on the loose out there eating creatures and sowing discord among all the animals and well they're all killers aren't they <laughs> i mean they're they're all potential killers anyway yeah absolutely and all you the know carnivores and if you think about it like there's there's definitely a two a two-stage reality because they're talking about this festival, the meteor, and they're talking about where they're going to go. And then the, the herbivores are like, well, we want to go. And the um, pelican leader, pelican sort of proctor or mentor, whatever role he actually holds, is like, are you crazy? Like, of course you're not going anywhere. Um, it's just the <laughs> just the carnivores at this time. Yes. And um, we get to meet a new carnivore, actually. Her name is Juno, and she is also... A wolf, a great wolf, in fact. Yep. Let's tell me about. Tell me a little bit about Juno. What was your impression of Juno? I, I, well, if I'm going to step outside of the interior narrative, I wonder if we have introduced a competing love interest for um, Legoshi down the line. She is a wolf. Um, he rescues her. They have interactions. She's actually referenced later in the episode uh, when the guys are joking around at the the table um she is not yet jaded or she's not trying to sort of suppress her emotions in the way that lego she does he and he sees that and he applauds her and he's like you know you should 
you should emote, you should feel your feelings, yes. you shouldn't bury it like I do. Um, I also thought that she represents sort of what nature would select for him, you know? She is the most natural match for his what will probably be alpha superiority or at least species like what his species would uh you mean gray wolves having sex with gray wolves yes i think that gray wolves having sex with gray wolves gray wolves having strong gray wolf babies you know like this is a world where we don't really talk about that or we haven't talked about that You, you raise an excellent point what happens if our good friend legoshi ends up with haru um, what is it just like you can't have babies across the interspecies barrier and therefore do they get wolf rabbits i i mean <laughs> you're gonna get versions of banicula um i'm very How does curious a rabbit give birth to a wolf <laughs> i i don't know and it would be a litter of wolves i suppose you get a litter of of um baby rabbits uh but i this particular topic is not discussed or has not yet been discussed in any depth like are sexual relationships separate from breeding relationships or what's the how does this all work but you're absolutely right juno has the potential to be and we know there's we know from um our good friend jack that there are at least four other female gray wolves kicking around out there Um, but this is the first one we've been introduced to um and she's a year younger than he is and Mm -hmm. for some reason everybody seems to uh, appreciate the the maturity of the older man and the younger woman. Um, and maybe, maybe, um, Legoshi will gain his experience through Haru and then end up with a satisfying relationship with Juno. I don't know. I'm skipping way ahead to episodes I haven't seen yet. Right. Well, she definitely, um, she definitely is positioned to be a part of the narrative going forward because she admits that she's in the drama club and that she already knows who Legoshi is, even though she didn't seem to know him at first. Uh, when he posed as her brother, which I thought was a really funny scene because there's a gag reveal that she's a completely different color than he is. <laughs> I I actually find it funny how little Legoshi seems to know about anything, given that he right. didn't realize that people had to be, that people's backgrounds were scrutinized and they were invited into the theater group. And I mean, <laughs> Legoshi, get with the how program here. How long has he here. been there, right? How long has he been there? He's at least a second year. And then we get news that, that uh, Legoshi and the other carnivores are going to be going to the city, and and Louis Louis lays it out flat. And what what's hilarious to me about this is that if someone's like, "Don't even think of going to the black market," then you are definitely going to the black market. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, there's no way if you told me not to go somewhere that I would, and, and in such ominous tones that I wouldn't immediately be, like, my interest wouldn't be piqued by that. Um, and let's talk about the crew that's going. I think, it is it Jack? Jack is going as well? Uh, you know, or I no? don't... No, it wasn't Jack. It was Bill. No, it wasn't Jack. And it was Bill it was Alba. The Alba, eagle. the eagle, and I do not recall the name of the third party. The okay, fourth well, party. We've, got our, we've got our carnivores. They're pretty strong. There's, a, there's an eagle, there's the tiger, and there's Legoshi. Um... And Legoshi's tale gives away his excitement at being in the city. And and the thing I took away from this scene is just that we get to see, um, we get to see harmony, you know, between the herbivores and the carnivores in society. Oh, yeah. And this is a big deal to Legoshi. And it comes back later. You know, he's saying, will adulthood be easier? Because here I see everybody living in harmony and therefore 
that's great. That's that'll make life a lot easier because I feel like there's a lot of tensions now in school. And I want to talk about their summer campus off campus fashion because it's pretty dull compared to their uh nice as we call them debonair uh school looks. Yeah, they look the sharp 1920s uh fashion that they were rocking before. Yeah, they just look like they're in a 90s boy band. Frankly, like, I would like yeah, their their fashion is unremarkable in their city a excursion. Preppy. I also want to point out the scene where they're at whatever the version of McDonald's that they're at and Bill smells Lagoshi's virginity and <laughs> you know you know like I almost could hear him saying that in your voice. I feel like that's something you would have joked about back in the day like I can smell your virginity. Wow, I I I while I may have harped on other people that that doesn't seem like an angle I would take. No, go ahead and say it, though, because I think we need to hear you say You want say me to say it. it now? I can smell the virginity on you from a hundred paces. Yeah. You smiled too much when you said it, buddy. You usually do it in a mock menacing voice. Well, what, 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 am I, what do I have to be menacing about this for? Like, I guess that's something that just comes with age when you realize that stuff does not matter. Yeah, that's true. And we also get a little bit more of the animal writing that i like so much which is uh the app that they use is called zoozle (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i actually did appreciate the joke um where alba said i'm not a migratory bird when they were like why don't you just tell us where we're going that was good use your magnetic sense of direction like that's like instilled by nature but yeah so they get lost uh when they're getting back from their restaurant outing and they end up where where do you think they end up? Definitely not the black market. That's Couldn't be the black sure. market. Well, first there's that interlude with the like weird hobo selling his fingers. Oh, right they terrifying, terrifying. Creepy and terrifying. And just like, I wasn't quite sure what was going through Lego. She said, first of all, the guy like suggests that he buy a finger. And then this blood haze kind of clouds his vision. And he has flashbacks to like Haru being friends. And then all of a sudden, you know, Bill just shows him out of the way and be like, this is awesome. If we all go in, we can each have a knuckle. Exactly. I was like, that can't be right. What? Why wouldn't you just go into the black market and get some food that's got to be cheaper than this person selling their fingers? Well, that's. That's them being dumb teens, I think. All right, That's fair them, enough. Like, jumping at the very first like woman who says, "Hey, boys, want a good time?" <laughs> like if you were in like Tijuana or something, right? I know I'm probably feeding into some kind of stereotype about Tijuana, but well, I haven't been there enough to refute it. So okay. So anyway, like. That's them being dumb teens, I think. And they're he's, they're probably being overcharged. You could probably get a nice hobo's finger <laughs> for somewhere else. The whole thing was like, super there's weird. Not even good, there's not even good meat on that. I don't even know why you do that. I, I couldn't... Just... Yeah, I agree. I couldn't figure out as well. Um, there was something about... The hobo was talking about the length of Legoshi's teeth and how that would cost more. So I, I couldn't quite make it out, and it didn't matter. The whole thing was sort of lost in his haze. He flashes back to Haru, and then he like he's like, "Oh, this is is this the only way that the the that herbivores and carnivores live in harmony? It's because there's this black market, and that's actually what's curbing all the bloodlust. And this is horrible." And he like freaks out, runs away, and then he starts to salivate uncontrollably. I was like, "Geez, this is this is really going somewhere." And then, and then, take us from there, Bree. 
Oh my god, it got so weird. Um, besides the fact that he was, as you alluded to, he was running through the market with vis- like like phantasmagoric visions of meat and rabbit dancing through his mind. Uh, and he just could not stop from drooling all over himself. Then he finds himself passing out, and a, and a, and a shadowy panda figure grabs him. And he wakes up, like, imprisoned with a muzzle on his face. Okay, I... Thinking that he's probably going to be killed. I was very confused about this because how long... The the guy says morning to him. How long has he actually been passed out? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It looked like he was still night when he passed out, so I guess he grabbed him and took him to his lair. And then (laughs) probably... uh, When the sun came up... I guess. So I was like, the passage of time, like, if... If you are hanging out with a group of three other guys, and then one of them runs off, and you guys are cool with this, if you don't see him for, like, however long Legoshi is gone, like, that doesn't seem cool. Wouldn't you be, like, raising the alarm? Yeah, there was literally no follow-up on that. Yeah, I was very confused. Like, they were out at something called the Black Market, where they definitely weren't supposed to be as miners, so... I'm not really sure what they are thinking on that side. They can't be very good friends. No, and I... Back to um, Legoshi being caught and tied up, and like, there's some serious sort of muzzling going on, and this is a very dark side of things because basically he's being accused of being an out-of-control predator who has had a virtual 100% chance of having eaten an herbivore recently. And if the guard is that convinced that he did... like. He lets him go, like, it seems like an hour later after having a cup of bamboo tea with him. I just thought that was, whole thing was very weird. Um, is that your normal course of business with these particular out-of-control um, predators? Because he you know, talks about all these gruesome fates, which I guess is the fact that you're living in what's supposed to be a civilized society. You're unable to control your carnivor- carnivoristic, your, your, your predator instincts. You go out and you eat things and you then you go mad. And these... People went mad, and then there is the you know the foreboding or or threat. You know, some he this one loved his loved the herbivore so much that he oh, yes. he ate her. Yes, and I noticed like, that it was he ate her. It was very specific. It was not. It was. It was very much almost like for an ugly foreshadowing of things that could possibly come. Um, I wanted to say that to me that was a scared straight bit, mm-hmm, you know, like mm-hmm. we're, like they they used to bring kids to prisons and have them talk to like guys that were serving life sentences, and so they could hear about all the terrible things that happened to them, like the drug abuse and the abuse in the prison, and like the kids would hear the stories and then they'd not want to do it anymore. Uh, that's what that bit sort of played like for me. I, um, again, it it actually. It and it turns me, out that guy's a psychotherapist. Oh yeah, it made me think really like how does how does the show once again want us to see the relationship between Haru and Legoshi? Is it there's so many different lenses with so many possible outcomes, and I like do they want us to see them as predator prey? Do they want us to see them as innocent lovers? And maybe it's me just wanting to pick a narrative and wanting the show to do that, and the show being very deliberate and very. Um, intentional about its desire to force us to see it through all these different lenses and refusing to pick a particular channel to allow us to form expectations about how things are going to go i feel like we did get a breakthrough here though and that the 
the, the therapist isn't letting Legoshi off the hook at all. He's like, you can't be serious. You, you obviously have mixed up your feelings of your desire to eat her with romance and you're headed for a tragedy well you should break <laughs> off your relationship he, with her immediately he does say you, that you're right you but absolutely then he also, do not know <laughs> but then he he hands him some uh, rabbit pornography well yeah i mean how nice that how he had it on hand therapist have you ever been to a therapist before um, a psychotherapist i i don't know if it was a they psychotherapist always... i've been to a therapist that one the one i went to i don't believe had any um rabbit porn on hand but i didn't ask well a psychotherapy always ends with rabbit pornography it's just it's like part of i'm gonna the i'm gonna write that down this hippocratic is, oath this is something i was unaware of it's part of the hippocratic oath <laughs> <laughs> as if we didn't get it the first time oh my god <clears throat> um I don't I th- you know what the problem is here is that the, it for me that this is this is very clear. This is very clearly laying out what what's kind of becoming obvious, which is that he still wants to eat her and he still thinks that he's probably in love with her. So now he, he's kind of being forced to confront those feelings. Like does he want a romantic relationship with her or does he want to eat her or is it a little bit of column A, little bit of column B? I mean, and, uh, the rabbit porn is supposed to be, it's supposed to be a way for him to, like, judge his feelings. Like, uh, is his attraction sexual? Yeah, he's supposed to be able or, to figure it out from there. Yeah. And then he meets his friend Alba, and it turns out that Alba couldn't eat the fingers either. So I guess not everybody's horrible. <laughs> I guess, but I, <clears throat> I doubt we're going to follow up on it. But I am extremely curious as to whether Bill and the uh, unnamed fourth party just decided to go ahead and buy the finger when again you could have just bought some nice meat right on the side there this is such a weird ending too because it ends with Lagoshi crying and he's looking at alba's beak and he's like kind of like admiring it because it's it's made for killing and tearing meat but it's saying considerate things Yeah. Uh, and that's how we leave the episode, and it's very strange. Like, I guess Lagoshi at this point represents this desire, this hope that carnivores can be more than their base desires. Is that a good read on this? Yeah, it's a, a perennially optimist, optimistic view of the, the, the tension that exists between the predators and prey. And, you know, I, it, to me, it seems like Lagoshi would be happy to drop his predator instincts if it allowed him just easier existence in society um the the panda by the way is named goheen but um i don't think that came up in the episode i'll be honest it did not come up i just want to be able to call him by his name it will come up later Um, i was wondering goheen is the protector of the black market right and he also had to make that choice whether or not he would be a meat eater or he would stick to a plant diet because unlike brown bears which is shown to us through a kind of like anatomical brown bear versus panda page in a book um pandas have the choice to choose to be full herbivores or they can eat meat i'm very curious as to reality here where obviously you've got real pandas and you've got uh I don't know that there are very many pandas that exist in the wild that are not 
um, cultivated, if you will, by the Chinese government. But how many pandas actually do a lot of meat eating as opposed to just bamboo, which is by far the dominant staple of their diets? I don't know. Maybe if you just start them eating meat, they just keep eating meat. I think they'll, like most bears are omnivorous. They will eat meat when given the opportunity, but they'll eat all sorts of things. They'll eat what they can get their paws on. Is it time, though, for a horror movie starring a panda bear? (laughs) A jacked panda bear? A grizzled and scarred panda bear? With with guns. With huge guns. (laughs) (laughs) Find out next time on... Yes, um... So that's this episode. That's these two episodes. Um, if do you have anything else to talk about the black market or where we're at no, with the I'm, story? No, I'm really curious. Again, I feel that over these last two episodes, the most interesting thirty seconds were um, Haru and Louis, and I'm very curious to see if how that relationship is uh, advanced in in our viewing of it. I'm I'm just extremely curious about it because to me it was many many dimensions many lenses away from what we're seeing here with legoshi and his sort of painful world exploration of his feelings and his emotions and not that there's anything wrong with that that's exactly what a 17 year old should be doing do you feel uh, like the show pacing wise is is giving you enough to go off of or do you feel like we're dragging a bit well in 100 percent honesty i feel like we're dragging a bit but i think if i were 20 years younger i don't think i'd feel that way Interesting. Interesting. So you just can't relate to like the sort of teenage angsty stuff that's like kind of consuming bits I'm, of the story. I'm too far removed. Yes. But I Did think you... that it's a I think that it is a valid mm. exploration of those feelings and it is a a, a normal awakening of them. And I I do think it requires a I while I can appreciate it, I can't viscerally uh relate to it. Well, Don, uh, it has been a pleasure once again. Uh, I think the show really is starting to hit its stride as far as like giving us more of that world that you've sort of been wanting to see. And also just uh, the characters are now sort of like finally making progress in their relationships. And it's not so uh, obnoxiously like uh, one-sided like we're finally getting to see interactions between Legoshi and Haru. That yeah, I, I do want more. Legoshi to get a little menorah out of his head, if I if I could. Um, but I think that that's part of the the natural tension. It, it's to me, it is much more believable of a character when he does struggle to get out of his head than um, than otherwise. And forcing many catalysts on him to make him do that is an interesting way to go about it. I'm, I'm, so I'm curious to see. We've got a, a good pantheon of characters uh on which to draw for our next few episodes all right well thank you don for joining me always a pleasure that's it for this episode of the cherryton school report i'm your host sabrina ray sometimes known as boo thank you for listening and if you want to support this show and others like it made by a diverse community of smaller creators and marginalized voices please consider donating to our network patreon Patreon.com slash The Orange Groves, where you can access exclusive content from this and other amazing podcasts, including extras and cut content. Until next time, beast off! They don't do that. They don't do that.